So we've been in our series, uh, The Church We Want to Be Now, for five weeks. Has it felt like five weeks? Um, this has really been the series that we focused our attention on um, since the start of the year, actually at least since the third week of the year. We've been focusing our attention on what kind of church is it that we want to be? What kind of church is it that God would call us to be? And so uh, we've said that the kind of church that God is calling us to be is radically hospitable. That means we throw open the doors wide um, for those who are far from God but near to us to come into relationship not only with this community of faith but with the, the, the person of Jesus Christ. Um, that They're connected not only to us as individuals but to God. Um, that's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a radically hospitable kind of church. We want to be a church that has passionate worship. A place where our worship is not just what we do in here on Sunday mornings, but is actually a way of life for us. It's, it's part of who we are and what we do is worship. So we're offering not only the, the words of our mouths and the songs of our hearts, but the everyday moments of our life to God through worship. We want to be a church that's intentional about faith development. That means that uh, we're intentional about getting people into small groups. And whether that, that small group happens to be you know, um, a men's breakfast uh, or a women's Bible study or a small group or a Sunday school class or a life group, uh, we want you to connect with other people so that you together can connect with God and can keep our church in connection with God so that we're all growing and maturing as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. But we have to be intentional in order to get to that place. It doesn't happen by itself. So we want to be radical. We want to be passionate. We want to be intentional. We want to be risk-taking. That's what we talked about last week was how can we become a church that engages in risk-taking mission and service. One of the ways that Jared's already mentioned to you um, is by signing up to be a part of the Habitat for Humanity Day that's happening on the 28th at 8.30 in the morning. Um, and there's more information at the back table uh, in the lobby about that. But we would love for you. Uh, no, we wouldn't just love. Um, I want you. <laughs> I want you to come out and be a part of that day because as we transform the lives of, of those who are in our community, God transforms us. As we pour ourselves out to others, God continues to pour into us. And so risk-taking mission and service is a major way that we experience God's ongoing presence in us and through us. And then lastly, uh, we're talking about becoming an extravagant church, but not simply a church where everything's covered in gold um, or where we have the nicest and best, the, the nicest and bestest. That was a, what was about to come out. The nicest and bestest and brightest um, things. But we want to be a kind of church where extravagant giving is the norm. Now, some of you heard the word giving and you just checked out. Like, you're like, oh, that's the end of the sermon for me. Thanks, Jonathan, I'm going to take a nap now in the next 15 minutes and communion will be like a nice snack and then I'll get to go home and have lunch. Be like an appetizer, like a, you know, a little pre-course before the main course. Um, don't check out, okay? God is calling us to be a church full of extravagant givers, a church full of extravagant givers. Now, the first thing that most people think when they hear Bill or I begin to talk about money is, um, preacher, that's nice, but what does God have to do with my wallet? What in the world does the Bible have to do with my money? People ask that of, of Bill and I all the time. People say, you know, I know that faith is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and I love Jesus, but it makes me uncomfortable to hear you talk about money. 
Occasionally people will tell Bill and I uh, that we talk about money too much or that we ought to be careful. I love, that's my favorite. Now, preacher, be careful. When you start talking about money, I'm not making a threat. (laughs) I'm making a fact. (laughs) Be careful. We hear that all the time. Be careful when you're going to talk about money, preacher, because, you know, people don't like it when you start talking about the intersection of, of their wallets and their faith. The interesting thing is, though, that if you look back in the Bible, if you look back on Scripture, the issue of money and faith go hand in hand. Do you know that 7% of the Bible, hold up your Bible. You got your Bible? All right, hold up your cell phone. Okay, hold up, yes, 7% of your cell phone Bible, uh, 7% of your Bible has to do with money. Does that shock anybody that 7% of the Bible has to do with money? It's, that's a big number when you consider how thick and how many verses are inside of the Bible. In fact, 2,300 verses are in the Bible that tell us that we are to be a generous people and that we're supposed to put our resources, and when the Bible says resources, we're to be putting our wealth to use for the kingdom of God. One out of every seven verses, one out of every seven verses in the Gospel of Luke is about money. One out of every seven is about money. Eleven of the 39 parables that Jesus tells are about money and our use of money. Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell combined. Jesus talks about money more than heaven and hell combined. In fact, the kingdom of God is the only thing that Jesus talks about more than money in the Gospels. Does that shock anyone? But preaching about money makes me uncomfortable. Does hearing about money from the pulpit make you feel uncomfortable? Okay, we're in a trusted place. This is safe. I'm not a preacher anymore. Does hearing about money make you uncomfortable? Our our culture has this uncomfortable relationship with money. You know, we don't like to talk about how much somebody makes. You ever find that? Your parents ever tell you that when you're a child? Don't ever go up to somebody and ask them how much they make. In fact, in our house, it was like, don't even ask the parents how much money they make, because that is off-limits information. We don't talk about that stuff, because it's personal, right? There's a ton of emotions tied up in our money, and in our finances, and in our financial situation. There are those topics that deal with money that are uncomfortable for people, and people are easily offended Whenever we begin to talk about money and their relationship with their money, some of you are even offended just to be sitting here this morning and me saying money like 78 times already inside of this sermon. But according to the Bible, according to the life and the teachings of Jesus, money is a topic that we must talk about. It's a a topic that we have to talk about. It's a topic that we should consider critically in our lives and with our faith. It's something that we should engage with, that we should be preaching on and making a priority in our lives. So with that in mind, I want to invite you to open up your notes or open up your Bible app to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 6. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 6. I want to give you some backstory 
um, on the church at Corinth. Now, the church at Corinth was a place that was just full of division. There's all sorts of division in the church at Corinth. There were rich people and there were poor people. There were people that were kind of in between. There were merchants and traders. Um, there were people who, who didn't do anything but have cottage industries, you know, industries, business that ran out of their houses. Um, but one thing we do know about Corinth is that it was a city where literally anything um, was accessible. You get anything that you want at the city of Corinth. That's because the city of Corinth is on an isthmus. Everyone say isthmus. Okay, isthmus. There you go. There's your geography term for the day. Um, it's a port on both sides. It has water on both sides of it. Um, so the city is surrounded by water, and it's a major trading hub in the Roman Empire. Corinth is kind of a big deal, and Paul goes there and plants a church, and then he leaves. This is what Paul does. He goes and he plants a church. He gets everything going, gets the community of faith going there, and then he leaves to go plant another church someplace else. So he plants this church in Corinth, and then he leaves, and a group of leaders come in behind him and start preaching another gospel, um, start preaching a different way than Paul, and Paul has this falling out with the community there in Corinth. And so in, in the two letters to the Corinthians, which is possibly three letters, uh, depending on who you read in the commentaries, um, in, in his two letters that we have to the Corinthians, um, we see Paul really struggling with this community, uh, struggling to be in relationship with them, struggling to talk about hard things with them. Um, he even writes that, that his last letter was filled with tears. Um, it's a letter we don't have. It was filled with tears um, because of his grief for the people and how they were wounded and how he might have been a part of wounding them. And so you get around to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and Paul gives the opportunity for the Corinthians to do something um, that we are called to do, and that is to give. And so I want to, to let you hear these verses. Um, Paul has been talking about this opportunity to give back to the church in Jerusalem so that the money that are, that's received can go to help the poor and the needy and the widows. If you read the New Testament, you'll find that children, orphans, widows, um, are a big deal, and the church cares for these people. And so Paul collects money and sends it back to Jerusalem for the purpose, for the purpose of bringing relief to people who are in need. So this is where Paul jumps in at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. He says this, The point is this, The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Have you ever heard anything about sowing and reaping in the Bible before? Yeah, there was this guy named Jesus um, that had this parable. Do you know about this guy named Jesus? Uh, There's this guy named Jesus. He had this parable um, about a sower. And he said, there was this sower one time, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Um, there was this sower who went out into a field, and he just went crazy. He, he, he had um, a bag full of seed, and he was out there sowing. Now, when you sowed things in the ancient world, um, you didn't go and meticulously plant things in the ground. When you sowed wheat in the ancient world, do you know what you did? You reached down into your bag full of seed, full of grain, and then you fling it like this, right? Now, have you ever thrown a Frisbee? You ever thrown a Frisbee? Think throwing a Frisbee except for with, with seed. Now, if you're meticulous and, and you're really paying attention, you can make sure that the seed only goes where it's supposed to go. You can make sure that you only throw seed between the two aisles right there and be pretty accurate, right? Well, 
the image of the sower that we get from Jesus is that this sower is just wild. He's sowing seed everywhere. He's got seed and he's flinging it out. And there's, there's seeds going on to the road. And there's seeds that are falling down on the rocks. And there's seeds that are going into, the, into the, um, the thorns and the bushes and the brambles. And then some of it falls on good soil. But the sower is just out there sowing like crazy. Just everywhere. Throwing seed everywhere. Sowing seed everywhere. Hoping for a bountiful harvest. Jesus will go on to say that the seed that's sown is the the gospel. And that the gospel grows inside of people. And for some on the fertile soil it grows up into righteousness and faithfulness. Sometimes it gets choked out. Sometimes it's burnt up by the sun. But the sower is is always sowing because the sower knows something. The sower in the parable knows something that if you don't sow... Bountifully, you can't reap bountifully. If you don't sow bountifully, if you don't sow a lot of seed, if you don't throw a lot of it out there, there's no way you're going to get a lot in return. If you only plant three kernels of corn, you're probably not going to get a field full of corn. It's probably not going to happen that way. It'd be a miracle if it did. But if you only plant three kernels of corn, you're not going to get a lush field full of corn. If you only plant three cotton seeds, you're not going to get a field full of cotton. You'll get three scraggly-looking cotton plants. In order to reap bountifully, you have to sow bountifully. That's what Paul says. Verse 7, he says, Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly, you may sow abundantly in every good work. Verse 9, as it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched, Paul says. In every way, for your great generosity. Underline that. That's in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce a thanksgiving to God through us. You will be enriched in every way for your generosity. Sometimes we get mixed up and we think that our lives will be enriched if we just get a little more than what we have now. If we just have a a few hundred dollars more per month coming in, if we just got a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that, that then our lives really would be full. Interesting thing is that when scientists poll us human beings about how much is enough and how much will make us happy, Regardless of how much you make, everyone says about 20% more than what they have. So those who make $10,000 think that if they can make $12,000, then they really would be happy. That people who make $50,000 think, you know, if I could just make $60,000, then I would be really 
happy and I could give maybe like God is calling me to give. And then people who make $100,000 think, you know, if I could just make a hundred and, you know, $120,000, then I would finally have enough that I could feel happy and, and my life would have meaning and I'd be fulfilled. The problem is no matter where you are, you are on that scale, you always think that 20% more will finally be enough. It doesn't make, matter if you make $1 million, you're going to think $1.2 million is really going to get me there to that place where I feel happy and I feel content and I can give like God is calling me to give. If you're waiting, if you're waiting to the point where you think you have enough in order to give, you'll never begin the discipline of giving. If you're waiting on that moment when you finally feel like you've got enough, you're never going to get there because giving is ultimately an act of faith. That giving is ultimately an act of faith and an act of faithfulness. God calls us to give when we make $100 a year, and he calls us to give when we make $100,000 a year. God calls us to give when we have much and when we have very little. God calls us to give and to give generously. It reminds me of another story that Jesus told as he was in the temple one day. This woman came in, and, and she was sort of in the corner, perhaps crying. And as she was there, this group of Pharisees came in and they were blowing trumpets and cheering and they had bags full of coins that they would dump to give their offering to God. And they made a big deal about how much they were giving. And then there was this widow with her last two copper coins who comes into the temple, as I said, grieving. And she drops her money into the collection. And Jesus says she's the one who has given the greatest gift. She's the one who's giving sacrificially. She's the one who's giving no matter what. John Wesley sort of brings that thought forward for us into the 1700s and, and forward to us today when he tells us that we are to be those who earn all you can, save all you can, and give all that you can. And Wesley is right. God wants us to make money. He wants us to use our gifts and our graces so that we can be productive in this world. John Wesley hated lazy people. He really struggled with people who were super lazy. Um, and so he wanted us to be industrious. He wanted us to be people who go out and earn a living, who go out and do our best, um, no matter what that best is, so that we can be productive in our world. He, 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 he thought earning was fine. Earn all that you can, he would say. But then he would say, save all that you can, which means a rainy day is coming and you may have to buy a raft, so make sure that you're, you're saving some. And then he said, give all you can, but it's not an and then he said, it really is these three things working together. You have to earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can at all times and in all places. It's not a one, two, three thing. We want to make that Wesley's message, earn and then save and then give, but Wesley says, no, do all three. Earn, save, and give. Earn, save, and give. Earn, save, and give. When you do those three things, you are being a faithful steward of the blessing that God's poured out on you. You are being a faithful servant. You are being one who's partnering with God for the expansion of his kingdom and for his name and for his renown.
earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Generosity, extravagant generosity, that happens when we give not out of a need to give or a compulsion to give, but simply out of the desire to give. Not because we've been forced to give, not because the preacher got up and preached a sermon on giving. God asks us to give as a reflection of who he is and what he is. I think this is why we give gifts at Christmas. You guys remember Christmas? Did anybody get presents at Christmas? No. I'm sorry. Let me know later. We'll work something out. Did anybody give gifts at Christmas? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever given a gift to someone you really, really love? Something that, something that you thought they would really like? I mean, something that you really thought hit the nail on the head. Have you ever given a gift to someone you really cared about and you knew that the gift was really important to them? Have you ever given a gift like that? How did you feel whenever you gave it to them? Were you excited? <laughs> you feel like love. It never felt so good, right? That's perfect, man. Yeah. You give that gift and you're like, <gasps> right? And they're excited because they've got the gift. They're like, oh, I've got the gift. I've got the gift. And you're like, open it. <laughs> it's not just that I gave you a gift. Do something with it. Do something with it. Let's see what you're going to do whenever you open it up. Because I know what the gift is. We're to give with that same sort of enthusiasm. We, we don't just get, here's your Christmas present. No, no, no. We give with this, this sense of anticipation that when we give, God is going to do something with it. That our, our gifts, the things that we bless the church with, our tithes, our offerings are going to do more than just keep this place air-conditioned and cool. They're going to go out to make a difference in the world and make, to make a difference for the kingdom of God. In the Methodist church, we have these things called apportionments. I'm going to tell you about them. Um, and apportionments get a really bad name sometimes in the Methodist church. Some people call them a, a church tax um, because they're money that um, whenever you give your offerings, um, the general conference or the annual conference um, asks us to give an offering too. And so we give money back to the annual conference for mission and for ministry. So it's like every church is tithing, kind of like the Corinthians were called to tithe and called to give. And so the annual conference says, um, here's the amount of money um, that, that you're going to be apportioned this year for mission and for ministry. And so we give money to extend the kingdom. We as a church, and you may not know this, we give money to extend the kingdom of God around the world. We give money um, for things like UMCOR, United Methodist Committee on Relief, this group that whenever bad things happen in the world, floods, famines, droughts, hurricanes, earthquakes, they go, most often they're already there, ready to roll as soon as the event's over to provide relief. And when we give as a church to that mission and ministry, what that means is that whenever others give $5 to it, all $5 go to support the mission and ministry. They go to support the people on the ground, to bring relief to those who are in need. That's a powerful witness for our church. That when we give here in this place, we enable ministries like UMCOR. When you give here, you go to, to support seminaries in Africa and Asia. When you give here, your money goes to the poor and the homeless here in Statesboro, but also to the poor and homeless and destitute around the world. When you give, you really do make 
a difference. And that's why Paul tells us that we will be enriched, our lives will be enriched whenever we give. Because when we give, we begin to make a difference in our world. Winston Churchill once said that we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. What we give away is what we will define us. If you happen to pass away while I'm pastor here at Pittman Park, there's a chance that I might be called on to do the funeral. And you know who gets to tell me the great stories about your life? Do you know who gets to sum up who you are and what you were about? It's not you. It's the people who are around you. It's your friends. And it's your family. And when I'm sitting down with them, stories always come out. Trends in your personality and nature always get discussed. And somewhere in all of that, the truth of who you are gets discovered. So it leads me to a question that you and I really do need to be thinking about, and that is, how do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered by the first part of that quote? For making a living? Or do you want to be known for the second part of that quote? For having a life, for making a life. To do that, to make a life means that we have to give of ourselves. That we have to give in to that inner pull to be generous and to say thank you to God for all that we've been blessed with. From friends to family to finances. To say thank you. Thank you, God. My prayer for you this morning is that you would take a look at your life and ask yourself, am I storing up? Am I holding on to my money and my finances? Am I holding on to my stuff because it gives me security? Or am I willing to give for the sake of the kingdom? For the sake of God's name and God's renown, for the sake of having a life. A life that matters and a life that makes a difference in this world. God has called us to be stewards of all that he's given us. What are you doing with the seeds he's put in your bag? Are you planting three? And expecting a field? pop up with corn or cotton or are you sowing like our father sows extravagantly so that a bountiful harvest might be reaped would you pray with me this morning God we thank you that you are calling us to be a people who don't hoard to be a people who do more than just store up our wealth, but to be people who pour out to others. We thank you that you give us the opportunity to trust you with who we are and who we are becoming. We thank you that you give us the opportunity to share your love by sharing with others. God be with us as we move toward this time of Holy Communion. 
help us to receive your grace at this table. That we might share your grace with the world in which we live. So we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Would you hear this?